This Quarrelcast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble, gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathios, available now on Amazon. In the book, I I tell the story of being really good at fiercely fighting and fiercely holding on to things that were important, even when they felt challenged or slipping away. And one of the key skills that I learned was fiercely releasing. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off-limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. What's up, friends, and welcome back to another conversation here at Holy Heretics. I'm your host, Gary Allen. It's been a wonderful start to the new year, and I've been dreaming of other ways to offer meaningful content to you as you continue your faith-seeking journey. Back in January, we launched Holy Heretics Shorts, which are small, bite-sized, and on-the-go featurettes, offering additional opportunities to learn, grow, and heal from religious fundamentalism. These 10 to 15 minute podcast shorts are, I think, the perfect way to take a deeper dive into a particular topic or a theme. And you can find them on our Substack page at holyheretics.substack.com. And also there you will find countless articles on spiritual formation, healing, and religious trauma, as well as other faith traditions like Celtic spirituality or Buddhism. And by becoming a paid subscriber on Substack, you not only support the show, but you gain access to Holy Heretic Shorts, premium articles, the archive, our online class, and you also receive each podcast episode seven days in advance. So pretty cool. You can check us out at holyheretics.substack.com for our written material, online class, and our short featurettes. Okay, so... Have you ever just wanted someone to come alongside you during this process of untangling one version of faith and building another? Maybe someone who's been there, done that, and understands that the struggle is real, the trauma is real, and recovering is going to take a long time. Well, today's guest is that person. Angela Harrington is a faith deconstruction coach and host of the Deconstructing Faith Summit. She helps people break free from toxic religious culture and empowers them to recover from church hurt. She has led online ministries for a decade, enjoys working with clients one-on-one and in groups, and she is a dynamic conference speaker. Angela is a firstborn 
Enneagram 8 Gen Xer who loves to question everything. She holds a BA from Indiana Wesleyan and a master's in leadership from Wesley Seminary. And her first book, Deconstruct Your Faith Without Losing Yourself, based on over a decade as a faith deconstruction coach, is out this month. Well, Angela, you are a faith deconstruction coach. I feel like I've needed one of those for about four years. What is that? And and what does that look like both for you and your clients who engage you in this process? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked because deconstruction has a million different definitions and coaching has a million different definitions. So when we talk about deconstruction coaching, I'm pretty sure it means something different to almost every practitioner. Hmm. Uh, For me, what that means is creating safe spaces for my clients to be able to ask the hard, messy questions and really get vulnerable and explore what their religious experience has been like and, and, you know, kind of sift out and, and sort out what isn't healthy and, and what they don't believe. And just ask those questions without fear of someone coming down on them. Um, yeah. You know, the most important thing for me in coaching is that I'm a, a partner with my client. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a top down. Here's what you should believe kind of thing. And I think that creates just a ton of space for people to say, I don't know. Hmm. Um, without fear of, of rejection or, um, you know, well, you got to know where you're going to go to hell kind of conversation that right. so many of us have, uh, so many of us have actually had in, in religious spaces. Hmm. Well, you know, I love that because you gave a hint to maybe my second question here, which is all about what happens next. When, when I mm-hmm. kind of started deconstructing, I had this real fear that I was going to lose everything, that I was going to kind of teeter off into the unknown spiritually. And I also have noticed from others that sometimes there's like a script, like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. you have to like follow this path and you need to wind up back here, maybe just Mm -hmm. in a more progressive form of Christianity. But I've just found that to not be true. And and one of the things we've tried to do with our space is to leave it wide open. Like, look, reconstruction may look radically different for you. It may not include Christianity. It may include something else. It may include a hybrid of thought and beliefs. Have have you also found that to be true first for you and Mm -hmm. then potentially what does reconstruction look like for, for many of your clients who have left religious fundamentalism, found themselves in the wilderness of deconstruction, and then, oh dear, what's next? Right, right. Uh, Well, first I would say if anyone is sitting there saying, oh dear, what's next? I'm terrified of losing everything. That probably means you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. Whatever your path happens to be in deconstruction, um, you know, once you start hitting those walls of, of uncertainty, uh, it's a good sign, even though it feels horrific. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully that brings a little bit of comfort to people who are sitting in that space right now. I, I think my one of the things that's really unique about the, the oh, I don't know, coaching theology, for lack of a better term, that I employ is that I tell people not to worry about reconstruction. Hmm. Because honestly, reconstruction means building back, right? And sometimes building back is not what's needed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a lot of situations, uh, depending on how how much abuse people are experiencing in the moment, a, a lot of times there's space to sift and sort out what doesn't align. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, wait, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And so there's more space um, t- to expand 
what is good and what is sacred and what is holy, but you don't necessarily need to reconstruct. Now, hmm. what I, I, I will say is the further out you are, if you can imagine a, a, a bullseye, right, where, where power is centralized in the center and the church pushes certain people to the margins, I will say the more marginalized you are by the church, there's less privilege available to deconstruct slowly, right? And so mm. the what I have found in my my practice and with the the peers and, and other coaches that I've talked to is the more marginalized you are, the more likely you are in need of just burning it all down, walking away, and then figuring out after you've healed what spirituality looks like. So yeah. there's there's a range, right? There's a it, there's a it's just like saying what does faith mean to you? Right. There's a tremendous range of of what that looks like. And it's all rooted in our personal experience and, you know, whether we've experienced trauma and, and even what, you know, what faith community we've been in. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of non-answers there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I hope that gives permission for, for listeners to know that there's not just one way. There's not one way to do this. Yeah. And, and I think that if we do prescribe the one way, we're still living out that religious fundamentalism is like, hey, you have to do it the way yeah. we are telling you to do it because, oh dear, you, you might make a wrong choice and go to hell. Exactly. Like, no, that's yeah. just not, that's not a, let's just take that off the table completely and really right. allow people to explore and, and frankly ask questions maybe for the first time. And I love what you said about also having a space to where, you know what, I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm going right. to potentially just set this aside, allow some time to heal. And the idea of going to church, even if it's exchanging my evangelical church for the progressive Episcopalian church, that still doesn't feel safe right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So in terms of that kind of no man's land of spirituality where you've left one place, you're not quite at home in another, have you found resources or guidance in in that time period that can help people begin to continue to make sense of this, of this space? Yeah, I think the biggest um, asset, the the best thing to, to put in your tool chest when you feel like that's the direction that you're heading is recognizing that uh, the, the, the community that you're in, the environment you're in, all of those structures that probably once felt wonderful, those are um, a part of faith. Those are part of your spiritual life. But that doesn't mean that when you leave those spaces, you're completely disconnected. Mm. And, and and so I think it's key to recognize that you don't have to go out and seek a bunch of different things. And I actually recommend people don't. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the language I use about the wilderness is I say, you know, come sit by my fire. You can borrow the fire. You can stay warm and come sit by my campfire and stay warm until you're at the place where you're ready to build your own fire. Mm. And so that initial phase for a lot of people is just catching your breath and sitting in the doubts and the uncertainty. And it usually starts with saying, I don't know what's next. Hmm. I don't know what's next, but I know this isn't working. Mm. Right. And, and the risk of trying to reconstruct immediately or trying to find a new community immediately is that, 
one or, or two of our beliefs may have changed, but there hasn't been enough time and space to go through our entire belief system. Mm. So it's like saying, you know, I wiped down the kitchen sink. That means I cleaned the kitchen and I can start making another meal or I can start another project. But that's not actually the case because the kitchen is huge. So did I take out the trash? <laughs> did mm -hmm. I, you know, wipe the crumbs off the counter? Did I look for nasty food in the fridge that needs to go in the trash? And I don't even want to save the Tupperware container, right? Right. Um, it's a much more expansive process. And if we rush from one religious container to another, we really risk staying in that fundamentalism. And I think a big misconception about fundamentalism is that it only happens on conservative, uh, religiously conservative, um, politically conservative spaces. But fundamentalism can happen at any end. So oh, you can even rush into uh, what, you know, a, pro a more progressive environment that aligns better with some of your new beliefs and still get caught in really toxic, unhealthy systems. Mm -hmm. So that's why the pause is what's important. Settle yourself, calm your nervous system, figure out what is actually going on and what you need in that space. And just trust that wherever you're supposed to be, in air quotes, supposed to be, wherever um, your journey is going to lead you, you'll get there. But this this calming your nervous system and and sitting by the fire and warming yourself is what's most important. Mm -hmm. I love that. My, my wife has a spiritual director and, and she's kind of going through something similar. And I loved what he told her this week. He said, look, you are exactly where you are supposed to be and you are on your own timeline. Um, don't compare yourself to others. Don't expect yeah. to be, quote, further down the road. No, no, no. You, you're, you're exactly where you're supposed to be take take stock in that and and frankly rest in that there, there's no there's no rush there's no hurry where are you going anyways you know and so right, just, just exactly. allow the moment to give you and what it what it needs to give you and teach you mm, that's really beautiful i'm curious too do you mind sharing a little bit about your faith deconstruction journey and and kind of yeah. you know what started it where are you now and and maybe um, you know, how have you potentially, quote, rebuilt or reconstructed or uh, changed, you know, who you are and what you believe? Absolutely. And so, the, you know, the, the long story short, kind of the, the encapsulated version, um, I didn't grow up in church. I grew up around it. I was a VBS kid. I would uh, go to grandma's house or uh, if somebody invited me to their church's Bible study, I would go. And so um, I grew up with wonderfully spiritual, devout grandparents. Um, but we moved a lot and we did my parents and I, we just never had a, a home church. So mm -hmm. it was something that was on the periphery until, um, gosh, I was probably late twenties. Um, when I, I settled down in, in what has now become my hometown and my husband and I started going to church for our kids and his story is similar to mine, um, as far as being around the church. And so we really, loved being in a church where things were clearly defined. I mean, what, what I can look back on now and say was legalism. A lot of that felt really good for me because I knew where the boundaries were. Mm. Um, I knew how to fit in. I knew like what was okay and what wasn't. And, and for the first time in my life, I really, I felt really put together. <laughs> 
I yeah. felt like I felt like maybe I didn't have to try so hard to figure out what uh, was expected of me in that environment. And so we had a wonderful experience there. There was a lot of growth, but I started seeing some things behind the scenes um, because, of course, we we moved into leadership and committees and all those things that you do when you're part of a um, a, a community. And I just saw some things that didn't sit well. Um, I saw some, it wasn't an affirming church. So there was some homophobia, transphobia. There was also behind the scenes, condescending conversations um, about a particular mom, um, a single woman who became pregnant. Um, and what, what should they allow her to do and how much should they allow her to participate at the level she had been participating prior to that. And mm-hmm. that really didn't sit well. And then the other thing was there was some ableism in the church that really made me mad. Um, There was a big addition that was being built and the youth ministry was being moved upstairs and there was some push to put it in an elevator and the leadership team chose not to, Hmm. which was awful because even at the time we had a, uh, we had a mom, a young mom with kids who were going to be in that youth area who used a power wheelchair and there was no way for her to get up there and see them and see their programming and those kind of things. So there was just a lot of little stuff like that. We went to a second church, um, completely opposite end of the spectrum. Lots of um, behind the scenes stuff happening there. And we kind of skidded into a a third church, um, which I still consider my home church, uh, just kind of in a different way. And I think that whole time that was deconstruction, even though I didn't have the words for it. Right. Um, It didn't start with massive theological debates. Um, I'm a, I'm a white middle-class woman who's married, um, who is educated. I have a master's degree now. I didn't at the time, but I have a master's degree from the local seminary. So Mm. I had a ton of privilege in that space. So I was able to see some of those things behind the scenes that the average person couldn't see. And it, it created a lot of dissonance and a lot of turmoil. Um, and I think it really came to a head for me when I went to seminary and was doing my my research on uh, Gen X women and how much access to mentoring and leadership do we have and, and how many opportunities were there in the U.S. church for us to move into those positions. And there were a lot of women who are very high up in multiple denominations that affirmed women who shared their stories with me about literally not being told about meetings where decisions were being made. Um being talked over in meetings and all those things that, that I had thought you could sort of outrun um, <laughs> if you found the right denomination and you just worked really hard. And, you know, if I got my master's degree, then, you know, I yeah. wouldn't bump into those things and maybe I would get ordained and maybe I would go on to the, yeah, kind of that hustle mentality manifesting in the church. Right. And so I came out of seminary very sick, physically ill. My body was like, dude, <laughs> something's not right. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I had to take that pause like we were just talking about. And I had to do some some healing and um, just catch my breath from that. And so it's been a real slow, gradual process. Um, I, I'm really thankful that a lot of it happened before 2020 because hmm. that was a pressure cooker. Yeah. Um, a lot of my clients... Um, did had like a real low level sort of inner turmoil. Like it wasn't too bad, but you know, you could still go, but there were some doubts. And then when 2020 hit and, and even after the 2016 election, everything got really loud. We saw more Christian nationalism. We saw more misogyny and definitely homotransphobia is just political capital right now. Right. Um, and so I, I think I'm probably always going to be deconstructing. 
Um, yep. But that's sort of the the arc. And and just for context, that's probably a ten to fifteen year timeline. Yeah. Um, which probably makes some listeners cry. I'm like, oh no, I'm getting <laughs> like, no, this yeah, I've got a decade is, more to do this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It is. It is a much lower level questioning um, than it was when I first started, mm. and definitely more than when I kind of hit the the crisis of you gotta you gotta sit down and have these conversations because you your your gut knows something is wrong, but your head is just trying to work through all the things and ignore it, and yeah. so. There was a lot of healing that had to happen there. Yeah. Well, you know, I've noticed, too, that it feels very syncretic at this point in the sense that my deconstruction started in about 2016. I was still in an evangelical organization and, and trying to have these conversations about LGBT rights and Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and misogyny. And then it, it escalated to a point in 2020 where I, I lost my job basically for deconstructing. I was the wow. local heretic. And, and that's why Melanie, <laughs> yeah, that's why Melanie and I founded this space because we both yeah. found ourselves for different reasons on the outside looking in. And mm-hmm. when we started Holy Heretics, we were both hurting and angry and frustrated Mm -hmm. and went through a season of just burn this shit to the ground. And that lasted for a while. And I, what I find myself now is really in more of a, um, a research mode or in a a wonder mode to go, well, what else is out there? Um, yeah, I I can still hold on to some of this stuff, but Ooh, Buddhism, there's some great stuff over there. Or Alexandrian Christianity. Ooh, I like that. I've never heard about that. I've been reading the Gospel of Thomas, never heard about Mm -hmm. that. And so I feel like instead of a, a place of fear and frustration, it's also a place of wonder in terms yeah. of like, what have I not been told? And gosh, what else is out there that I can learn and add to my spiritual toolkit? But yet you also talked about this whole process of pain and yeah. wounds and trauma. Help us make sense of that because I don't know if this is a continuum and and it probably looks radically different from for so many people, but there's sort of an awakening like, hey, something's wrong. Then there's a, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. And then there's sort of rage and anger. And then you Mm -hmm. wake up to trauma. Um, And at some point, maybe you get to the wonder stage, but a lot of us are probably still in that trauma, wound, hurting stage. How do you help your clients in that sensitive, soft spot where they realize they've been abused by the church and they do have some spiritual trauma? What what are some practical ways in which you come alongside them in that very vulnerable time? Yeah, I think the the, the biggest thing that I found helpful, um, kind of in my peer group when I was deconstructing, um, that I try to take into the coaching space is just taking all expectations off the table. Mm. Um, and that's really hard for those of us who are like, just tell me what buttons to push <laughs> yeah, tell um, me what in to Google do. Maps. Right. Right. Tell me, tell me what my, my destination is. And I am smart enough and stubborn enough to figure out how to get there. Mm. Um, in the store, in the book, I, I tell the story of um, being really good at fiercely fighting and fiercely holding on 
to things that were important, even when they felt challenged or slipping away. And one of the key skills that I learned was fiercely releasing. Mm. And it is not something that I learned overnight. It took years. Um, and I'll be honest, it still pops up every once in a while as something I struggle with. But but learning that uncertainty um, is not a lack of holiness. And learning that if you have to cling so tightly to your beliefs and your faith community out of fear of um, it just all falling apart, then is that actually faith, right? Is that actually, um, like if you're harming yourself, if things are harming you and your loved ones and your neighbors and your, um, you know, the people that you care about, why are we working so hard to cling to them? Hmm. And I think that's where, that's where things shift for people because deconstruction can't just be in your head. Um, I know that the original philosophical Derrida um, deconstruction is very heady. Right, right. But the thing about religious deconstruction or faith deconstruction is that religion does not just live between our ears. Hmm. So when we're heading into these spaces where we cannot make sense of things, we have to, to stop prioritizing our brain and just see our brain as part of all of the, the beautiful decision-making parts of our body, right? Mm -hmm. Our brain isn't the only thing that senses things. Our brain isn't the only thing that holds memory. And so learning how, like you said, the sensitive soft spot, learning how to, to sit in that space and be kind and tender with ourselves and be compassionate with ourselves, potentially for the first time ever, it's what unlocks the space where we can then dive into stuff a little more intellectually. Hmm. And honestly, in that season, stuff is not going to make sense. Yeah. It just isn't. Like we, we sometimes ask the question, why do those spiritual mentors uh, come at me with such venom, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. just because I post something about Black Lives Matter or I celebrate my friends on, on Trans Day of Remembrance and I mourn with those uh, who are being oppressed by legislation across the country, why are these people who were mentors and really led me to faith and, and got me past that initial stage and into the real meat of Christianity? Why are they so angry? Why are yeah. they rejecting me? Um, you know, where is that venom coming from? That is not going to make sense. That is not something you can get through with your brain. No. Um, trust me, I try. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. If, it, if I could, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation <laughs> right. because what I've learned about deconstruction is it's, it's you, like you have to have you. And that means your whole self. Um, so your intuition, your emotions, your heart, um, even just caring for your body, like that's part of getting to a place where, where you're safe enough to heal from whatever it is that brought you to this place. Mm. Yeah, I, I refer to deconstruction now in terms of like recovery in the sense mm -hmm. of it's it feels like an addict waking up to the trauma that led them to cling to their drug of choice and mm -hmm. cling to sort of this this escapism from the pain, um, which sort of begs a question. Do you feel like the language we use around deconstruction is still viable? I, I and I'm thinking of terms like the the words we've literally used over the last thirty minutes: deconstruction, mm -hmm. reconstruction, mm -hmm. 
ex-evangelical, we have these labels and this language that has kind of come part and parcel with this process. Are they useful still, or do we need to find different words to describe this very subtle, profound, nuanced, complex process? Yeah, it really depends on where you're at. Um, And I think that sometimes those labels help us identify who we are or perhaps what stage we're in. Mm -hmm. And and that is sometimes liberating, right? Mm -hmm. Other times the labels actually get in the way. Um, So for example, ex-evangelical, I know there are so many people who are like, oh my gosh, yes, that resonates. Mm -hmm. But then there are other people who are have been so deeply harmed that even the word evangelical, even though it's ex-evangelical, like <laughs> right. anything that's tied to the church is just so harmful and undermines progress. So I would I would say take what you need, leave what you don't, as far as it comes to labels. And I it's so interesting right now. I know we watch some of the same uh, opponents, if you will, um, some of the people who are really trashing the deconstruction community. There's a lot of trying to redefine words that are happening over there. Mm. Um, and, and it's really an opportunity to keep the power that they have in those organizations by redefining words so that deconstruction or, um, you know, any process of doubt, like, it becomes something that you can do within the organization that you're in and you yeah. never have to leave. Right. And you have to do it as long as you do it the way they want you to do it. Yeah. Right. Like questions, doubts, all that is okay as long as you don't go too far out of the box. Right. <laughs> you're right. So things like saying, you know, is God even real? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, like that question sometimes is the one that, that gets you pushed out the door or counseled by the pastor or, or, you know, those kind of things. And I think that there is space for that in a healthy faith. Um, and, and saying like, these are unchallengeable ideas makes it really hard to do that sifting and sorting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, in my marriage, my husband and I went through a really, uh, a really tough time and, there were certain things that were not on the table for us. Um, we're not going to get a divorce. We're not going to do this. This is this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it really wasn't to the point where I said, we need to be healthy. Mm. I need to be healthy. You need to be healthy. We need to be healthy for our kids. And if that's not possible together, okay. Right. Like prioritizing our health. And, and our, our marriage is really wonderful now. But we had to get to the place where we were willing to say everything is on the table. Yeah. And it wasn't a lack of love, right? It wasn't a, an abusive situation. It, it wasn't something like that. It was just a lot of dissonance in, in where we were that was spilling over, where we were as individuals, that was then spilling over to this conflict of all the unresolved trauma that we had prior to coming together, right? Mm-hmm, right. So I think deconstruction is a lot like that, right? It's a relationship with our with our faith. Um, you know, sometimes it's a relationship with God, sometimes it's a relationship with Jesus, sometimes it's a relationship with the church. But when it comes down to it, that fear of losing everything keeps us stuck most of the time. Yeah. It's valid. We need to go there. Uh just like rage, right? We, we need to have the space to rage, but it's not the only 
space that exists. And sometimes when we get stuck in one particular space, it's really hard to heal. Right. <laughs> it's really it's really hard to calm our nervous system and find any sort of, of peace or serenity um, in the midst of the chaos. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the biggest fears is the fear of the loss of community, friends, family. And, and I would say that while everyone's spiritual deconstruction journey looks different, one common denominator I think is going to be the loss of community, because if you leave those spaces and if you begin to, like a lot of us, vocally and very publicly challenge the normative status quo of religious fundamentalism, you're going to start to be seen as, you know, a heretic, as weird. And so I experienced this on multiple levels uh, my family, I, I had to stop speaking with them for about six to nine months. I lost most of my my neighborhood friends who were also mm-hmm. sort of church small group group friends. You know, mm-hmm. they, they kind of walk mm-hmm. by the house and look at me like I'm some weird liberal that is unsafe to talk to. Um, yeah. I literally lost my employment. And you find yourself alone, frustrated, and just kind of wondering is there anybody else out there that is yeah. doing this? And sure, we can find one another online, but in real life, that's sometimes challenging. How how have you helped your clients find community in this very lonely uh, process? Yeah, it's extremely rare. Like it's a, a unicorn situation for people to be able to go into deconstruction and really be open to whatever happens without losing someone, Mm -hmm. um, without losing pieces of their community. Even if you're in a a, a more progressive church um, that shares a lot of your beliefs about social justice and racism and and equity and everything, chances are you're going to lose some things. Um, And so I, first of all, I would say it's probably not your fault. It probably has nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. um, that people are are reacting in such a, a, a violent way. Um, even though you're the one saying, okay, I got to take a step back, right? Um, stepping out of a situation, setting healthy boundaries, those are good things, but the backlash isn't always, right? Mm. So first that, you know, if that's happening, um, I'm sorry, it deserves to be grieved. And you also deserve to be surrounded by people who have earned the right to share your story and to be part of your story. Um, especially with deconstruction, because you, 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 we're not trying to throw more trauma on top of the trauma that we're already sorting out. Yeah. Um, but sometimes relationships are traumatic. So first, first to say all of that, the second piece is how to find community. And I'm in the very conservative Midwest. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know anything about Indiana, I'm in Mike Pence country. Um, we Woo-hoo. will, yeah, we will. <laughs> I know exactly how our, um, I know who our, our voters will be voting for. And I know how our, um, all the preliminary polls and everything, I, I, you know, we just know, right. It's really hard in this type of environment to go out and find a pocket of people who you can deconstruct with. Um, not impossible, but so many people, um, are connected to the church or connected to Christian universities, or, you know, they just have a lot to lose, um, by talking about these things publicly. So what I, I offer, the advice I offer to clients is, 
try to find some spaces that aren't uh, necessarily Christian. So is there a book club, right? Is there a bowling league, right? Is there, is there something, is there some way that you can engage with people outside of deconstruction to be able to have those personal connections? And sometimes you have to go to a neighboring town. I, I have a have a client that I've worked with a few times um, whose spouse is a pastor in a very conservative environment. And unfortunately, you know, she can't really go anywhere mm-hmm. without the faith coming up. But there's a, a, a neighboring town about 30, 40 miles away where she can go and be totally anonymous. And so even shopping um, in that space or, or going to a movie or a play or um, even going to the Pride Festival there, she's not getting battered by these questions about faith. Um, you know, the why aren't you going to church, all those kind of things. So if you can, if you can find those spaces, definitely do. One of the hardest things about this sort of us having a lot of come to Jesus moments, for lack of a better term, during the pandemic and and especially heading into 2020, the spring of 2020, is that there weren't a lot of physical gatherings that were happening at all. Mm. Um, I know COVID is still an issue. I know we're seeing a lot of other respiratory illness and some other things happening right now um, as we go into the spring. But outside of that, I think that they're, I think we're kind of on the upswing as far as person to person conversations. I think we're, we're seeing an upswing in events. So I hope that that will get better with time as we, as we start to, you know, bounce back from the pandemic a little bit. And I, I also know saying that, um, you know, I hesitate to even say that because there are a lot of people who will never bounce back from the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want to minimize that, um, especially the people with immune disorders and um, people in the disability community is still very life threatening for them. Um, So I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to skip over their story. Uh, But I think for the most of us who have some level of health, some level of privilege, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more in-person events over the next few years. Mm. Um, Until we get there, I think the online spaces can be really helpful. What I would say is vet your online spaces really well. Um, It's kind of like that old HR mantra where they tell you to hire slowly and fire quickly. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what we're doing here, right? Like go in, go in soft, listen, observe what's happening. Um, don't open yourself up to a ton of vulnerability in that first, uh, first few days or weeks that in there and just get a sense for what the community is about. And also give yourself permission to step out without explaining yourself to anyone. Right. Um, give yourself permission to try different spaces and, and know that you're probably going to need different spaces as you go through this journey because there are different seasons. So for example, I have a, I have a free Facebook group and we work really, really hard to make that a space where there's room for questions, there's room for emotions, but it's not a ragey attack each other, um, attack our, you know, people who are against deconstruction. It's not that kind of space. Um, but that space is also needed. So, just know that you may be in a season where you need to be around people who are screaming. You need to be around <laughs> people who are, 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 are helping your rage come to the surface and giving you words that you have never had permission to speak. But that's not the only thing you need to be instructing, right? So <laughs> right, yeah. just, just know that like, it's, it's different. It's, it, it's different. There are different seasons and there are different spaces. So mm. 
you know, the free groups, the low cost groups, those can be really helpful. I will say the the spaces that I've seen the most transformation and the most, um, just the most beautiful relationships build is in the small group coaching that I've done where we typically have five to 15 people. Um, none of it's out on Facebook. It's private conversations. And it really creates this beautiful sense of camaraderie when one person says, this is what I'm most terrified of. And every other person on that Zoom screen starts nodding yeah. their head and crying, mm, yeah, right? Right. Um, so that that's what I would say. You know, there's different levels of it. And just like we talk about with reconstruction, we talk about with different churches, like go slow. Yeah. You know, get used to being by yourself and get used to tending your to your own needs while you search for these communities, because we don't want to just slip into another codependent relationship um, with any pocket of, of the deconstruction community. If the yeah. goal is liberation, if the goal is to really find that that peace and that connection um, to spiritual life, whatever it looks like for you, then you got to be really careful not to just slip into another space where you're welcome and accepted, but you haven't learned to sit by yourself. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, two things you said there just kind of made me light up. Um, even though we're not on a Zoom screen, you could have seen my face go, ah, you know, is yeah. one, one, the the even the idea of going slow in some of these online communities, but also the dynamism that is taking place on the other side. So for instance, our space has changed over the years. You know, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, we were like rage against the machine for the first year and a half. And yeah. now I'm just done with that. Like I don't, yeah. that's just not where I am. And so that's not where our content is. And so helping individuals realize that that community that you joined is also going to change and you mm -hmm. are going to change mm -hmm. in the midst of that community. And so I, I'm actually finding myself at this point um, unfollowing a lot of the yeah. people that I started following. And it's not that I don't like them. It's not that I feel like that they're saying something wrong. It's just that I'm done shitting on evangelicals. Like I'm just done. Right. And, and, yeah. and I really enjoyed it when I did it for two years. <laughs> You're you know? really good at it too. Yeah, so yeah. that always helps. <laughs> really good. Um, Cause I could push those buttons and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, and, but what I've realized is like, you know what, um, right now that's not healthy for me. I can't stay there. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about finding people who are a little bit further down that deconstruction journey to where they kind of move past that. Um, mm -hmm. And then the second thing that you said that I thought was really critical is finding an, a community of non-believers and yeah. allowing yourself to realize that not everyone is crazy, that, mm -hmm. you know, not everyone has actually experienced what you've experienced. My, my day job is at the University of Colorado. And so it's mm -hmm. radically different. Um, I don't I don't think I know a Christian at work. And when we talk about things like we don't say it in terms of like Christian nationalism, but we definitely talk about the whole right wing politics. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating and, and comforting that there are people who are not in religion at all, 
who are seeing the same problems that those of us yeah. you know, who came from evangelicalism. And so just hearing their stories and, and immersing yourself in a community where faith isn't even a litmus test or a shibboleth mm-hmm. to belong has been yeah. incredibly, incredibly freeing for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so thank you for those two things, because that's sure. just like got me going right now. Oh, um, good. So I want to end with a question. I know you have a new book coming out. Um, yeah. Kind of what spawned that and how is it going to be another tool for individuals journeying through this space? The book is is deeply based on my coaching practice. And my my big dream for it is that it, it's it, it teaches a process of, of connecting with yourself and uh, embodied curiosity and, and vulnerable exploration that people will learn how to leverage in deconstruction, but then also take it to every other aspect of life. It's a complete shift in how we evaluate information, how we treat our bodies, how we listen to other people. And I think that that is what is really, that's what makes it revolutionary. And that's what makes it liberation work. Um, So in the book, I invite people into a little bit of my story that's super vulnerable. Mm. Um, I have some clients that have, have let me share uh, little snippets here and there of their story, um, mostly with pseudonyms to, to protect mm, them sure. um, from any backlash. But it's, I'm, I'm really proud of it because it feels like a very compassionate conversation um, where, where what I've put in the book uh, doesn't sound any different than how I would talk to a client, uh, a deconstruction client, um, who's experienced some pretty significant trauma and, and is really at that point you talked about kind of the no man's land of, I have no idea what's left. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm most proud of. And I, I'm not telling people what to believe. Um, yeah, yeah. this isn't, uh, um, you know, here's the 10 things you have to do to save your faith. And I even opened the book with that, you know, I'm not here to save your faith. I'm also not here to abolish the church. Like, that isn't that isn't what we're here to do. I'm I'm really just here um, as an author and, and as a coach to create a safe space for you to be able to ask those hard, messy questions um, without condemnation, <laughs> without me pulling out Bible verses or or um, you know cultural based things and saying actually you've got that wrong. Here's where you should be. Right. Um, and I think that's the true path to to a healthy spiritual life, whatever mm. that looks like um, for my clients. That's, yeah, that, I hope that's what we've been able to put a little bit of into this book. Wonderful. Well, for people who want to, to grab the book uh, to find out more about your coaching and mm-hmm. the resources that you provide, where can we point them to? Yeah, the best place to go is my website, um, AngelaJHarrington.com, and it's H-E-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Um, there's a little button at the top of the page to get all the information about the book. Um, it is coming out on February 20th, but you can pre-order it now. You can go through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, one of the things I love that we did is on the website, there's even a button where you can put in your zip code and search for local mom and pop independent bookstores. Oh, so that's cool. we all have to work with the big dogs and yep. I would love it if you would buy it on Amazon and, and give me a review because that always helps. Um, and also if you've got a local bookstore, just have them order it for you. Mm. I would um, definitely love to, to support the small businesses, um, but that's the best way to find me. And then there's also on there, um, there's a, a space where you can 
join my free Facebook community, which has about 3000 people in it, um, all in different stages. Um, you know, some people who have moved towards atheism, other people who are agnostic, other people who are like, I don't know what the hell I am. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. I'm um, here today. I don't know what. Yeah. And I, 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 yes, it's my group. Um, but I have to tell you, we have some of the most amazing people in there, um, who are not staff. Uh, they are just in there and they are the most compassionate, wise people. Um, and so it's just a really, you know, it's a really cool place if you don't have an in, in-person space you can go to. And then I'm on the, I'm on all the socials, um, most of them. I'm not cool enough to be on Snapchat, but you know, yeah. um, there's lots of there's lots of links on my website that you can find me. But that's that's the place I would send you first, um, especially if you're looking for information on the book. Awesome. Yeah, I tried TikTok this week, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. I just I posted <laughs> something, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not cool enough to be in this space either. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a TikTok. Um, I actually, when I, I started the Deconstructing Faith Summit a few years ago, that's where I went to to find a lot of speakers and to find some more diverse voices. So um, there's a great community over there for deconstruction. Um, there's a great community on Instagram. Facebook's a little weirder, but that's yeah. where Facebook is where the best groups are, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just kind of have to like, like I said, pick and choose. Um, yeah. You know, even people who you're following on social, they need to earn the right to be in your space. Yeah. They just do. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Angela, I knew this was going to be a really practical, helpful conversation, and, and it really has been. So thank you so much. I, I have appreciated listening, learning, and I've been taking notes myself uh, throughout this. So um, we would love to have you back on the show. And again, just thank you so much, folks. Grab her book, find her coaching, um, and just remember that deconstruction, reconstruction, whatever words you want to use for this, it's it's going to be a long process. It's a messy process. There's not necessarily like an end goal. And welcome to the journey, right? So yeah. 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 Welcome to the wilderness. Come sit by my fire. You know, maybe we'll even find some s'mores um, and just take whatever space you need because you deserve healing um, no matter what that means spiritually for you. Wonderful. Hey, thanks, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.